0: Our reading today is from the book of Luke, chapter 10. This is continuing in our reading through uh, the gospel according to Luke. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right, so he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road, and went on his way. A Samaritan, who was on a journey, came to where the man was. But when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him, and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, Take care of him, and when I return I will pay you back for any additional costs. What do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? Then the legal expert said, The one who demonstrated mercy towards him. Jesus told him, Go. And do likewise. While Jesus and his disciples were traveling, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his message. By contrast, Martha was preoccupied with getting everything ready for their meal. So Martha came to him and said, Lord, Don't you care that my sister has left me to prepare the table all by myself? Tell her to help me. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part. It won't be taken away from her. Here ends the reading. When I was preparing for the ministry and when I was becoming reacquainted with Christianity, because for those of you who may not know this, when I first entered the the preparation for ministry, I entered in the Unitarian Universalist denomination. And I had come most recently from a very Buddhist background. Of course, I had been raised around Christianity as a youth, uh, but it wasn't something that I had really studied in any great detail. But I had been studying it as, as uh, part of my UU faith at the time, which I had been engaged in for about seven years or so before I entered uh, the preparation for ministry. And one of the things as I, as I began, as I changed over to uh, the Christian faith and, and started to move away from the UU faith, and as I uh, really became engrossed in reading uh, reading the Bible in more detail in understanding Christian theology better uh, as I learned and I read as, as I began my own spiritual journey deeper into the Christian tradition. one of the things that I had to deal with uh, in my own journey very early on was the idea of the church what actually is the church? It's it's a hard question. It doesn't have a very simple answer. And people um, will almost certainly give you a simple answer. They, they'll say, oh, it's this. Either because they feel very strongly about their, their own understanding, or because it has simply been um, repeated to them many times, and they, they know it through rote memorization. But... Like so many things in faith, and so many things in Christianity, the answer is kind of multi-layered. It has multiple meanings and, and different ways of looking at it. And When you're early in your faith, you're told one thing, and when you're later in your faith, you find something else. For many, the church is specifically the congregation to which they belong, the physical building and the people who meet there. when I was studying for the ministry, one of the things that I learned about was, it's called Fowler's Stages of Faith. It was a a gentleman named Fowler who uh, talked about kind of a psychological understanding of the stages of faith development in a, in a person over time. Very interesting idea. And one of his points was that the earliest form of faith was the faith of doing. So it was, what was church? Well, if you ask a toddler uh, who has only learned to speak maybe a year before or two, a toddler might tell you, oh, well, we get up on Sunday mornings and we go to the to church and we go to service and then I go and I, I go to class and then I play with my friends and then we have bread and, and wine and then, you know, they'll describe this action of going to church. And if you ask someone later on, they'll say different things they'll say churches is, is this community they'll say church is this idea whatever there's all these different these different things and I think that the the answer is not one or the other the answer is that it's all of those things in different different aspects depending so there's a church that is the congregation there's a church that is perhaps the denomination the larger church body to which you belong for myself this this even is a multifaceted Question, because you know, I still feel very strongly uh, connected to the UCC, the United Church of Christ, which was the the, the denomination that I uh, was in in fellowship with for many years while I was preparing for ministry. I still feel some connection to the UU denomination, even though I don't I don't consider myself to be a, a UU anymore. Um, I, I certainly have lots of friends and, and feel very close. Uh, kinship to to those folks. At the same time, I, I served a mostly Methodist congregation, and I, I certainly feel a kinship to the United Methodists. Um, I've I've always felt kind of at home in an Anglican church. I feel a kinship to the Anglican denomination, uh, certainly to the the liberal Catholic denomination, which has had a large a large impact on my faith development through the people that I that I. Uh, Looked to as mentors and early on and, and whatnot. I, I mean, it's just a wide range of things. I went to went to a Presbyterian seminary, so the Presbyterians are always kind of, you know, close to me in my in my heart. But the the closest denomination is, is of course, the Universalist Church the, in in its current form, the the Christian Universalist Association, of which I'm a member of the board. I'm a I'm a uh, ordained minister in good standing. You know, my colleagues and friends are in this organization. So, one thing, there's the church, the local church. Two, there's the denomination to which I am most closely associated, which will also be the CUA, the Christian Universalist Association. Third, though, there's the church Catholic, the the greater church, Catholic here with a small c, meaning everywhere. The, The church that is the The collection of all believers all over the world who who believe in 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 Christ and his message. Uh, this is why I'm really close to the World Council of Churches, to the uh, the National Council of Churches, to to um, various. I'm always big into, into ecumenicism and ecumenical work, working with other Christian denominations. So that's also the church, and yet. on a a more interesting level, on a more perhaps metaphysical level or or theological level, the church is really the body of Christ that that Jesus brought into existence as part of his ministry on earth and all all of the people and all of the the things that have come out of it. And, And there's this argument that can be made about is the church perfect or not? Is the church fallible or not? Uh, and you could you could make lots of arguments on this. Of course, I will tell you that if you think if the answer to your question is what kind of what part of church are you referring to? If you're referring to the denomination, if you're referring to the uh, the individual congregation, if you're referring even to the church Catholic the, the the larger Christian movement across the world, yes, they they are all human organizations and they are all fallible and they all make mistakes. But perhaps if you think of the church as being the body of Christ that um, is kind of beyond the human organization, the thing that the human organization points to but can never fully become because of our own flawed nature, then maybe maybe that church is infallible, but not the one that we actually have in the real world. Where am I going with this? And what does this have to do with who is my neighbor? (laughs) So I think that one of the things I had to come to grips with uh, was with the church was the horrible wrongs that have been committed by the church over the the centuries. Horrible wrongs, horrible, horrible things. Um, Many people point to the Roman Catholic church and say, oh, this is the Roman Catholic problem, but it's really not. It's really not, you know, um, john calvin uh famously but one of one of the the protestant reformers who is kind of pointed to as the the founder of the uh, well not the founder but but a but a um an ancestor of the, the presbyterian church certainly the reformed church the founder of the reformed church uh who famously broke from so many things and and, and was so angry at the Roman Catholic Church, nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, brought judgment against a man named Severus and had him burned at the stake for his Unitarian beliefs. So it's not like and of course, you know, people, of oh, the Spanish Inquisition or the, you know, whatever. But I mean, there's also the, there was also the wish trials in Salem. There, there was um, the, 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 the stealing of land from the indigenous peoples in the Americas and elsewhere. There, there was um, the, uh, the persecution of scientists um, by the church. There, there was uh, the, the kind of tacit, acceptance of the slave trade the, the tacit acceptance of the Nazi party in Germany there, there was um, so many things so many things so many things that the church has done that were flawed and wrong but that's what we are as people, we're flawed people and so that's, that's what we end up with a flawed organization but one of the things if, if I was going to point at one thing and say this: This is the thing that the church gets wrong the most. That the church, Catholic, ever—not the, the, the Roman Catholic Church—the the, the the Church Catholic with little C—the entire church, the, the the all the believers of of you know and followers of Jesus all over the world. If if I was going to point at one thing and say this is the thing they get wrong the most often that has caused the most problems, it is that they do not know who their neighbor is. Jesus was very clear on this point, very clear. And Luke, the author of this gospel was very clear by including this parable that we heard today about what's the good Samaritan, which of course now in our, in our, in our modern vocabulary, we consider the good Samaritan to be a very common thing. We talk about the good Samaritan and the good Samaritan is a great person. We have good Samaritan laws and things like this but that's not how it was in in Jesus's day. You know, the Samaritans were a descendant of a mixed population that had occupied the land following the conquest by Assyria in the in the 8th century BC. So if you remember uh perhaps there was there was Judah and Israel the two the two kingdoms and um uh, Israel fell to to the Assyrians. And then later Judah fell to the, to the Assyrians and the Assyrians. Um, no, I'm sorry. And the, the Babylonians and the, and the, the Assyrians conquered Israel and then the Babylonians conquered um, Judah. But point is the people, the people were taken away and some people were left there. And that, that population that was left following the conquest were the Samaritans. And um, you know, when when the people returned to rebuild the temple uh and to rebuild Jerusalem, the Samaritans were against that. They had been living there this whole time. They were confused by these outsiders, you know, who were coming in to what you know they had seen kind of as their own land now that for several hundred years they had lived there, right? Um, and so they constructed their own place of worship on uh Mount uh I'm sorry, I might pronounce it wrong. Um, Um, And so they didn't believe that Jerusalem was the place to go. They had their own place of worship. And so, from the Jewish perspective, the Samaritans were, first of all, ceremonially unclean. They were social outcasts. They were religious heretics. They were the very opposite of what. A priest or a Levite, the other people we hear in the story, see the story would, would have been—they were the very opposite of kind of an, an upstanding model citizen of of the Jewish um, population of the time. And so, the story of this Good Samaritan, in its context, in its day, was a very shocking story. This was not you know, something we, you know, now we think, oh, the good Samaritan, we know the Samaritans, the Samaritans are the people who help people. That's, that's not what they thought. The Samaritans were the, were the bad people. They were, they were the people that, that nobody liked, (laughs) you know. um, Clarence, Clarence Jordan, who's a, a a role model of mine (laughs) in uh, a minister in the, in the deep South during, uh, during the, the middle of um, kind of the racial um, upheaval that occurred during the '50s and '60s in the Deep South in the U.S., he told this story, and he he made the black person the Samaritan in the story to kind of give it emphasis to his to his white audience at the time. Um, the 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 Samaritan. Was to 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 the people who were listening to the story, the person who would never help, the person who could not be, we could not, they could not be touched. They, could, you know, and you know, the other thing. So let's let's go back a minute. Let's let's look at the at the text. So, that, so the the text is, um, a legal expert comes up, a lawyer, someone who has studied, who has studied the 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 law of the Torah and and the uh, Jewish holy books in great detail right? A scholar. Um, this is your, this is your seminary professor. <laughs> this is your, your, you know, the reverend doctor, right? This is someone who has spent a lot of time studying the text and they are testing Jesus. This is, they don't, they don't really want to know. They, they're, they're testing. They, they're, they're trying to to get the upper hand um, intellectually against Jesus. And so they ask Jesus, what must I do? And Jesus replies with a question, what is written in the law? And they respond, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yep, that's it. So this, this is, this, putting this together, this, this, this phrase was obviously, this obviously obviously existed before this time. Jesus didn't invent this concept um, within the Jewish uh, uh, religion but the legal expert wasn't, wasn't happy with that. He, he wanted to prove that he knew better than Jesus. Right. And so he said, ah, oh, but who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus responds with this, with this story and, and the people he lists, the, he who he this person gets, gets robbed and, uh, beaten to death, almost, almost to death and is lying in the, you know, in the gutter on the side of the road and first comes by a priest and the priest, um, crosses the street so to so to avoid the person and goes on. And then comes a Levite who um, was also, uh, uh, you know, the Levites were the were the people who, who um, you know, maintained the temple and, and were the kind of the religious caste, right? And then um, that person also crosses the street and goes on. And then a Samaritan comes. Now, when Jesus was, was telling the story, you have to kind of think in his, his audience's mind, they expect that there's a really common really common movement which is to say a priest a levite and a good is um israelite like a good a good jewish person a good a good member of society that that's what they expected they, they would have expected jesus to say well the priest went by and the levite went by because for them to touch a dead body would make them would make them ceremoniously un, uh, unclean it would it, you know uh in fact, the Levite was completely forbidden from touching a dead body. Um, they didn't know if the person was a Gentile or a Jew um, who was on the side of the road. It could have been a trap. Maybe, maybe the robbers had set a trap for them to get them to come over and help this person, and then they were gonna get gonna get ambushed. They didn't know. And so they had they had to make this decision between caring for a fellow person and and doing what what they felt like God had told them to do, which was to maintain their purity and their, their cleanliness because they were going to go you know, uh, they were going to need to be able to, to um, preside over sacrifices and things in the temple. And they, they needed to not be unclean for a week. You know, they needed to be clean so they could do this. And so they made kind of a snap decision. It's really important to say these people weren't like horrible people. They, they just, they just chose one uh, with what they saw as a, as a good, over their their caring for their neighbor, and so Jesus's listeners, his audience, would have expected the next person to come along to be a good Israelite man, right? To be to be some someone a, a good a good member of society, but instead, instead Jesus subverts the story. Instead, Jesus says a Samaritan comes, right, on who's who's on a journey, who's passing through, or right? he's not, you know, Samaritan comes. And he takes time out of his journey to care for the person, to bandage their wounds, to take them to an inn and make sure they're well. He gives probably a week or two's worth of of money, as far as the, the room in the inn is concerned, um, to the innkeeper and says, "I'll pay you whatever else when I come back." You know, he the, the the Samaritan goes above and beyond, well beyond. And the and the Samaritan, remember, although they were from a different group of people. They they believed largely in the same God, and they had a lot of the same um, beliefs around ritual purity and whatnot. So, so they were under the same moral dilemma of do I help somebody, you know, and and possibly become ritually unclean in doing so or not, and and yet they chose to help. And Jesus is really trying to, to force us to look at that and 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 really pay attention to it. Who is my neighbor? Well, the answer is everybody's your neighbor. Everybody. You know. Um, and I think that Jesus really, you know, tries to, to, to make this as clear and obvious as possible there are a lot of places in Jesus' teachings where his parables maybe are a little confusing and even he says you know oh people won't understand this until later but on this point he is very clear you know he hangs out with the with outcasts he hangs out with with um with sinners and with the 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 uh the sick and and with women you know in the story in the story right after this the second half of the story we heard He's going and he's met by by Martha and her sister Mary, and Martha goes out to meet him so Martha is probably the head of the household. We don't know if Martha's married we don't know if if she's you know if she lives by herself and she owns the home you know she's just there with her sister we don't know anything about her in that context, but here are two women there's no mention of men there's no mention of brothers or husbands or or you know fathers or anything two women and Jesus goes in and teaches them and this was you know, and one of them, he you know, sits at his feet and, and learns from him. And this was something that just was not done. Um, it, this this was, was socially taboo to do this. So Jesus really was very clear that everyone is your neighbor. And yet throughout the history of the church, the church has done a fantastic job of making a division between us and them. And there are so many, there are so many, you know, today we often, uh, in, in the U S because it really is mostly an American thing, um, in the U S there's this huge, or it has an English speaking thing, I guess in the UK, it's also a problem. Um, there's this huge problem about, um, the, the GLBT community or LGBT community, LGBTQ community, um, you know about the homosexual question, if you will. Are they allowed or whatever? We we affirming or whatever. You know, and and people point to oh, there are Bible verses that that say that this is a sin and blah blah blah. You know, people point to Bible verses for lots of things over the years. You know, uh, in the in the fifties, it was illegal to for a white person to marry a black person, and one of the reasons was they pointed to Bible verses that seemed to say that. You know, when they wanted to get rid of slavery, they pointed to Bible verses to say that since slavery was was, you know, part of the way of things. You know, um, Paul talks about, you know, be be content with, you know, with where you are and, and you know, serve your masters kind of thing. You know, uh, there was a, this this idea, the mark of Ham. that so they talk, they talk about dark skinned people. And, and say so they had the mark of ham on them and that they're, you know, lesser beings because of this is part of what they use to to to, um, you know, kind of, uh, rationalize the slave trade. I mean, um, you know, oh, well, they're, they're not Christians. So, you know, uh, anything we do to try and convert them is, is fine. That's, you know, why the, you know, the, the Pope divided the world in half and give half of it to Spain, and half of it to Portugal. And, and, you know, the, the missionaries landed in Japan and, and started trying to convert people. I, I, you know, I mean, so many things throughout the history uh, uh of the church the 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 crusades and the and the belief of the muslims were were somehow you know less than human the the idea that that i mean it just it goes on and on and on and on the indigenous peoples of the world i you know so many times the church has has made this argument that somehow some people are less than everybody else, and that is just not true and and that is Against everything that Jesus stands for, everything that Jesus says, I mean, it, I don't understand how someone can read the gospel of Jesus Christ and come to the conclusion that somehow Jesus builds walls between us and other people. I just don't understand. So who is your neighbor? Everybody. Everybody's your neighbor. And God only asks two things of you: to love God and to love your neighbor. Being a Christian, there's a lot involved. There's a lot involved in being a Christian. and uh, Jesus before this passage, Jesus talks about the various like things, you know, take up your cross and, and follow me, the, all the things you, you have to do to be a disciple of, of him. But, but I mean, when you, when you boil it all down, It's just these two things. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment and back up and talk for just very briefly about something that I missed last week because I missed my my service um, for personal reasons. And we missed talking about the transfiguration, and it's it's very important. And so, I want to I want to bring it up. The reading last week was about the transfiguration, and the the details of the transfiguration you can you can read it in Luke or in any in any of the other synoptic gospels. Um, and I'm not really going to focus on that. I, I just want to make a, a a narrative point. There are three major events in the life of Jesus that we see in the Gospel of Luke. The first one is Jesus's baptism, so he he i mean I mean August well, four if you count his birth, of course, but we have Jesus's baptism. this is the beginning of his ministry, right He appears out of basically out of nowhere, is baptized um, goes into the into the wilderness for forty days, comes out, begins his ministry. The second event is the Transfiguration. And the transfiguration is the pivot point where in narratively we pivot to Jesus beginning his uh, journey to Jerusalem where he will eventually be crucified and, and, um, and raised. And he says during the transfiguration scene that this is going to happen. He tells his disciples is going to happen. And then the third is of course the crucifixion and, and resurrection Um, in jerusalem so so these kind of these which is which is you know these are like three three major story points and it it would be remiss of me not to go back and talk for a minute about the transfiguration because what we see now is a pivot in the story so that now we're moving towards jerusalem and pretty soon we're going to get to the to the part where jesus is entering jerusalem we have the holy week and and all of that so that's to look forward to for next time or as we as we go on so just to come back again, I apologize for the aside, but I, I wanted to get that. I uh, wanted to mention that. So what I want you to do this week and really every week <laughs> but especially this week, there's so much going on. There's so much happening in the world, so so much uh, death and illness and um, catastrophe happening all the time that we get kind of we get kind of numb. To it all. You know, think about who is my neighbor, who in my community, who can I reach out to, who can I check in on. Just call somebody or, you know, ask somebody how they're doing, check in with them, bring them something if they need it. You know, if you're living in Texas, I'm sure there's so much that can be done. If you're not living in Texas and you want to help, there are uh, fantastic organizations you can donate to um, to help people rebuild after this horrible storm and and, and power outage and everything. Um, But try your hardest not to build those walls between you and other people. It can be difficult. Our society is driven by in-group and out-group. So much so, even in in Japan, it's it's built into the language. The language is designed around in-groups and out-groups. But Jesus said that we are all in one group. And that difficult teaching is one that we should carry with us into the world and and actively try to implement in our lives. Actively reach across the, the chasm created by our society sometimes and try to reach those folks whom we are told are other for whatever reason. Amen.